You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. Take shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Welcome to episode 15B. Following our Raptors interview with Holly McKenzie, I want to ask you first, Lauren, Kyle Lowry was just named an all-star starter. Can you speak on his merits? Yeah, I really think that Kyle Lowry was deserving of this spot. He made a late push to get that last starting spot, getting his votes above Kyrie Irving, who had been leading at the last vote tally. And I think he's been the best and most consistent point guard in the East so far this season. First of all, I don't think there has been a lot of competition for him at the point guard position this season, with Kyrie being out with injury for a large part of it. And his other main competition, John Wall, being up and down and the Wizards not performing that well as a team so far. So I think definitely his consistency has been there. And he's led the Raptors to number two in the East with a very efficient offense. And a lot of the other players on the Raptors also have been having career offensive seasons and the two people you look at when that tends to happen are the point guard and the coach in my opinion yeah good point lauren another raptor who's having a career season is demar derozan he's averaging over 23 points per game shooting almost 45 percent that's way up from last season's 41.3 he's playing almost 37 minutes per contest he's just been amazing and he should get an all-star reserve spot What do you think about that? Yeah, I really think it'd be great if Toronto, who's hosting the All-Star game this season, was able to get two All-Stars, Kyle Lowry as a starter and DeRozan as a bench spot. As we discussed on the episode, DeRozan's pretty interesting in that he's a shooting guard who can't really shoot threes. He's taken only half as many threes this season as DeMarcus Cousins, which is kind of weird to think about as a shooting guard in 2016 now. But he's been effective because he gets to the line so much. He's third in the league in free throw attempts. And he's doing that also by being aggressive, driving to the hoop. And when he does that, it opens up the offense and disrupts for the other players on his team too. DeMar DeRozan not shooting the threes very well, but he's shooting the ones and twos well. So that's all that really matters now for Toronto. The Raptors' defense has improved a ton. That's probably one of the biggest reasons for their improvement overall. They're currently top 10 in defensive efficiency. That was their main weakness last season. They've struggled defending against the three. They're 27th in opposing three-point percentage. But Lauren, how important has their defense been so far? As you said, it was their main weak point last season and a big reason why they got swept in the first round of the playoffs against Washington. They really were struggling defending, and especially in the transition. And I think their defensive philosophies have improved. As Holly mentioned, Dwayne Casey is more of a defensive-minded coach. And last year, 
they were having a lot of success mostly on the offensive side because that's the type of personnel that they have on their roster, more offensive focused players. But he's made it a priority this season to focus more on defense. And also they made the offseason acquisition of Damari Carroll, who's been injured for a little bit now, but bringing him onto your team will do good things for your defense. Very good point about adding Damari Carroll. So with the Raptors' defensive improvement, this begs the question, they're currently the second seed in the Eastern Conference. Their metrics look good. Are they truly contenders, or are the Raptors just pretending? Yeah, as you said, all the metrics look good for the Raptors, which couldn't be said last season, even though they did get home court advantage going into the playoffs. Their point differential this season is second only to the Cavs in the East, and the Cavs are going through a bit of turmoil with their coaching change, which we'll get to in the second segment. But still, I feel like I have a mental block picturing the Raptors doing well in the playoffs. Maybe it's unfounded, but because of their previous history, it's hard to picture them making a real splash. Maybe that's just because I've we've seen them flame out in the playoffs so often. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's hard for me to envision the Raptors actually going deep into May. It's never happened before, but who's to say it can't happen again? It's just hard for me to imagine. They have a deep roster, and if they can somehow get past the Cavaliers, who's to say the Raptors can't get to the finals? But I'm just having a hard time picturing it. That concludes our first segment on today's episode on the Toronto Raptors. Again, we want to thank Holly McKenzie, our tremendous guest, for appearing on On the NBA Beat. Next, we're going to talk about David Blatt and his firing. Welcome back, listeners. Well, the big news this week was that the Cleveland Cavaliers decided to let go of their head coach, David Blatt, replacing him with coach Tyron Lue, who they've actually given a multi-year contract to now. This marks the first time a head coach has been let go while their team was number one in their respective conference. Josh, what was your immediate reaction to hearing this news? It was pretty shocking to me, as I think it was to, to most NBA observers, in that David Blatt's Cavaliers were leading the conference. They went to the NBA Finals last season. They were poised and probably still are to return. This deep into the season, I can't believe, I can't understand why they would make this move. I would have understood during the off season if um, LeBron James in particular had a problem with Blatt or the, the team just didn't like him. But this deep into the season, it, it seems very curious. I agree with that, definitely. It seems like the type of move that you would see for a championship contending team if he had truly lost the locker room to be made in the offseason, not during midseason, especially not when the team's at 30-11. and 11. That said, I think it was clear from this first half of the season that the Cavaliers are worse than the Warriors and the Spurs and management right now 
has only one thing on their mind, and that's a championship. I don't think they care if they get back to a NBA Finals. They want to win the ring with LeBron in town. The most recent loss against the Warriors, I think, was the ultimate catalyst for the firing. I think they realized that they had to go in a different direction. That's a good point. Maybe the players respect Tyron Lue more because a lot of them are veterans, and he's a guy who played in the NBA for a while. David Blatt never played in the league. That could be a huge part of this, too. Yeah, the other thing is that I think the players were getting increasingly frustrated by, this is all rumors, but there is an apparent lack of transparency or lack of communication between Blatt and the players about his philosophies, especially about lineups and minutes managing. We've talked about this with a lot of our guests when we talk about coaching philosophies, and I think communication is a real key when fostering a relationship between a coach and the players, making sure the players understand everything that's expected of them from the coach and what their role is on the team. A big inciting incident that's been brought up time and again is during the Cavs Christmas Day game against the Warriors, Mo Williams and Richard Jefferson, two veterans that the Cavs brought in this offseason, both got DNP coaches decisions that game, whereas prior to the game they were getting significant minutes, over 20 minutes per game each, and I think everyone on the team was shocked by that, that Blatt would make that decision without really notifying the team of that beforehand. I agree. I think that's really messed up that David Blatt would do that. A team full of veterans, you have to to be um, communicative with them. They don't want a strict authoritarian coach like Blatt seemed to be, who's just going to make decisions without at least telling his players where he, where they stand. And Tyron Lue figures to be the exact opposite. He figures to be an approachable former player who communicates with his team. And I think that's exactly what Cleveland wants and needs. That said, I'm not sure even if they're more willing to play and give hard effort for Tyron Lou if they have enough to get over the hump and make it a competition against the Warriors or the Spurs because a lot of the problems that they showed their head-to-head matchups so far in this season I don't think can be explained by a head coaching issue. I think there are large personnel problems that give the Cavs problems against each of those teams, specifically against the Warriors. I don't think Kevin Love can guard the pick and roll at all with Steph and Draymond Green. Granted, it's not as if anyone can guard that, but Kevin Love, especially in this most recent game, was just getting destroyed every time they put him in it. He looked really bad and completely lost on several plays. I agree with what you said about it not necessarily mattering who's the coach because of the glaring personnel problems that plague the the Cavaliers in relation to the Spurs and Warriors. But at the same time, it's important to keep veterans happy. When you have, especially LeBron James as the centerpiece of your organization, you have to do what makes him happy. And it's clear, it's pretty clear now, I think, that the team was not happy with David Blatt, in particular LeBron James, likely. And I think coaches are overrated in the NBA. A lot of it has to do with how well the players play, especially when you have veterans and all-stars on your squad. So I think it's important just to to ha- get rid of the coach that was bothering them, 
and put in a guy that they trust. Especially now that LeBron is continually structuring his contracts to give him an opt-out seemingly every year. A lot of the moves the Cavs management have made so far this season and last season seem to be tailored towards keeping LeBron happy, be it giving Tristan Thompson a big contract or signing Mo Williams, as we mentioned before. So it remains to be seen for the rest of the season how well this move works out. As you said, maybe it's just good to keep the veterans happy and also give them a little bit of a head start getting used to Tyron Lue's system if he decides to change anything. But in the near term, at least, I'm not sure how good of a decision it was for the Cavs. But what's interesting about this move that we haven't mentioned yet is that Tyron Lue doesn't just become the interim coach. Right off the bat, he was given a three-year contract. So that shows that the team really feels strongly about his fit as the head coach in Cleveland. They um, clearly have assurances from the players that Tyron Lue is the man they want for the job. Yeah, that's a good point. There's been a lot of confidence thrown towards Tyron Lue, and he's been an assistant coach for a while in this league who's been very respected. He was one of Doc Rivers' top assistants, too, while Rivers was with the Celtics, and he never had anything but good words to say about Tyron Lue. So hopefully it works out for the Cavs. Hopefully they can right their ship after seemingly a bumpy road this first half of the season even though they are doing well record-wise but we'll see how it goes in the playoffs and that'll close out this segment stay tuned for next one after the break Welcome back for the third and final segment of today's episode. Another story in the NBA recently was the Josh Smith trade. This past offseason, Smith was signed by the Clippers, and he was thought to be an important centerpiece to the team's bench. But apparently the Clippers have had enough of his struggles and have traded him back to the team he played for last season, the Rockets, for basically no one. They traded him for cash considerations, and the rights to Marty Lunen and Sergei Lucia. Both players currently play abroad. I'm a big Clippers fan, and Lauren is a big Rockets fan. Lauren, let's hear your perspective as a Rockets fan on this trade. I'm a fan of this trade for the Rockets. I've not been silent about my frustrations with their play this season, and a lot of that has to do with effort. What Josh Smith is able to give this team is at least a jolt of energy off the bench, which is where I expect him to be playing for them. That was generally his role last season. He can come off the bench and make some threes and play good defense. A big knock on him usually is that he's not great in terms of decision-making typically, but I think if you don't rely on him to be the focus of your offense, then he's a good role player, and he showed it last season when... He came up big against the Clippers. The Rockets just need him for those types of performances down the stretch. The other thing is that he's good friends with Dwight Howard, and I think he could help some of the locker room issues that the Rockets seem to be having. Hopefully he can get both Howard and Harden on the same page again and get them both 
giving the requisite amount of effort for this team to be back into discussion as a contender. Probably not for the championship. I think those are pipe dreams by now, but at least for home court in the West. What do you think about this from the Clippers side, though, Joshua? What were their reasonings for wanting to get rid of him for almost nothing? I am not a fan of this trade at all from a Clippers perspective. I think Josh Smith is still an elite defender. He's he's only 30 years old, just turned 30 last month. He's a great passer, one of the best passing big men in the league. He wasn't playing that many minutes, but I think this is another case of Doc Rivers just giving up on a player too fast. I'm one of those few people who thought that that's what happened with Spencer Hawes last season. I don't think it was Hawes' fault. I think Doc Rivers gave up on him too soon. I think the same thing is happening here with Jay Smooth. The Clippers bench really needs a guy like Josh Smith to be able to play the power forward position and even center and just relieve DeAndre Jordan or Blake Griffin when they get tired. Cole Aldridge has played pretty well off the bench, but he's not good on defense. Josh Smith is amazing on defense. And the guy can score if you need him to, too. Just hope that he doesn't shoot a lot of threes and get out of control and turn the ball over because you know with him he can get a little wild. But it's still kind of early in the season, about half midway through, and... Smith is is a really good player. I I don't like that they gave up on him so quickly. He might end up beating them in the playoffs again. I just think it's interesting because this marks the second time in two years that a team has given up on Josh Smith and the Rockets have been there to pick him up. He seems like a good fit with the Rockets, but something about him seems to not jive well with other teams. Last year it was the Pistons who actually just waived him rather than trading him away. I think the the fit with the Pistons was really bad, but with the Clippers, it didn't seem like an odd fit to me. I just think he wasn't getting the chance that he deserved. He was getting a lot of DNP coaches' decisions, and along with Lance Stevenson, Doc Rivers just placed him firmly in the doghouse, and I don't think it was warranted. Obviously, I'm not there in practice to see what goes on, and I don't know if it was more than just an on-the-court issue, but... From a standpoint of helping the team as far as scoring, rebounding, passing, and defense, the team is clearly worse without Josh Smith on the roster. And I'm lamenting this trade. On the court, I think you would have expected coming into this season that Josh Smith on the Clippers would play largely a similar role as he did on the Rockets last season to help out off the bench, play some small ball five, and mostly just be a stretch four. That said, there were some rumors about some locker room issues. I'm thinking that the reason why the Clippers could feel okay with trading Josh Smith right now is that they have a big trade coming, or maybe even a free agent acquisition. Not that there are very many free agents left at this point, but if they're getting rid of a guy like Josh Smith, it seems like they're going to make some type of move to get a similar type player on the roster before we get too deep into the season. Yeah, it remains to be seen if this is just the first in a series of moves for the Clippers or the Rockets. So we'll see how that unfolds as the trade season continues. But for now, we'll just hopefully wait and see and see how Josh Smith does back on his old and new team, the Houston Rockets. And I think that closes out our episode for today. Thanks again for listening, listeners. And we'll be back with a new episode next week about the Orlando Magic.